Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Orange Brown Talk podcast on a Tuesday. Dan Lobby here with Mary Kay Cabot. Now, normally this is a Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast, but we thought there's so much that we wanted to talk about. We were just kind of kind of make this a normal podcast today. So uh, don't worry, football insiders. We will get back to uh, some Hey Mary Kay questions um, and, and get some of your uh, some of your topics as well. Uh, next week, we'll be back with a Hey MK, even though it is a short week next week. So we'll see what that schedule looks like. But there's so much to get into, Mary Kay. I thought it would just be a good idea to just go through a list of things that I was thinking here. And the first thing that stood out to me, so I was not on the Zoom calls today uh, with Kevin Stefanski or the players, but I did catch up. And of course, I was following along on Twitter, too. And Kevin Stefanski made a very strong case today for Miles Garrett for Defensive Player of the Year. He gave a very long answer. He made the case for Miles, even though the sacks haven't been there. He basically told people, put on the tape, watch how Miles is being defended. Um, he's the best defensive player on the best defense. Um, and he made a big case for Miles Garrett. This is not something we've ever heard Kevin Stefanski do, this strongly at least. So I guess when, when that happened, what were you thinking? Well, my first thought was that even if he had not been asked about Miles Garrett per se, that he was going to try to use that tactic somehow, some way of making sure he was able to get up on his soapbox and give Miles Garrett uh, this praise, this bump that he felt that he needed. And, you know, I kind of understand where he's coming from, because if you do watch the games very closely, like we do, of course, you do see that he is getting mugged and held consistently. He's always been double teamed, but it almost seems like the holding, the, the, the blatant holding has gotten worse this year. And of course, he vented about it after the Jaguars game. It cost him $25,000. I'm guessing he'll probably appeal that sum, but, uh, you know, he, he's tired of it. And a, a big part of the, uh, the problem right now is the fact that he is in the midst of a career-long four-game sackless streak. And I think that Kevin Stefanski and Jim Schwartz both recognize that Miles is getting double-teamed. He's getting chipped. They're calling slides away from him. They are doing everything they possibly can to keep Miles from wrecking the game. And I think they want him to know just how much they appreciate his efforts even though it's not showing up in the sack column. And why is that important? Well, unfortunately, it, it's important because those sacks generally get you the most attention for NFL Defensive Player of the Year. And Kevin was trying to take it away from that today and just say, no, he's the NFL Defensive Player of the Year, even though he's getting held, even though he's getting double teamed, and he is getting double teamed, more than anybody else in the NFL, according to ESPN's analytics. Um, but I think this was his way of saying, you know, you've got to put on that tape and see that we possess on our football team right now the NFL Defensive Player of the Year, even though it's not showing up right now in the sack totals. Yeah, we, we've sort of seen them trending this way as kind of pushing back against the sack totals. And I thought Kevin today, I mean, he even went beyond the pressures, right? He talked about some of the plays Miles made that he made. He talked about one specific play that Miles made that didn't go as a sack. Had it gone as a sack, it, it might have helped Miles' case just without Kevin doing the pleading. But we are seeing, we're seeing him, we're seeing Jim Schwartz. Um, going all the way back to Ben Bloom when he was talking about Zadarius Smith and he put his arms out and said how much he loved Zadarius Smith. Um, we're, we're seeing this push towards them 
kind of trying to take the narrative away from the sack totals, right? They're talking about pressures. They're talking about um, what that creates, you know, guys being disruptive, making plays, things that don't show up on the stat sheet. And that that's important too now, because I don't know that miles is going to end up leading the league in sacks this year. He's going to have to have a pretty strong finish to pull that off. So, you know, they're, they're sort of trying to spin that narrative a little bit to again, Hey, watch the tape, watch how this guy disrupts. Don't get caught up in those sack totals. Yeah. And you know what? The, the odd thing about it, even though he's trickled down to number seven in the NFL with his 13 sacks, he was at one point heading into week 12. He was um, number one in the NFL with those 13. Now he's down to number 17, but he's still only three behind TJ Watt. And all it takes is one of those games against an inferior scheme or an inferior tackle or an inferior or a weak link on a, on a line uh, for you to be able to bump that number up. And I know that they're doing everything they can to help him get those one-on-ones so that he can actually wreak the kind of havoc that they need him to. Um, so he's only three behind TJ Watt right now. That's not that far behind. And if he can climb back up uh, near the top again, then I think you'll start to see him get some of that attention for NFL defensive player of the year. Um, but right now there's been, you know, a lag and a little blind spot in there. He's only um, had sackless streaks of three games. That was his previous high. And that's happened on three occasions as a rookie in 2017 in 2019 um, before he got suspended for the final six games of the season for the helmet incident with Mason Rudolph. And then in weeks 15 through 17 of the 2021 season, it it happened again. Now, generally we do see miles start to drop off a little bit in the second half of the season. That's been uh, something that has happened, but the Browns don't believe he's dropped off at all. He's just not getting home and he's not getting home in part because he's getting held so much. So, you know, we'll see what happens by the end of the year. At one point when he was at 13 going into week 12, he was on pace at that point to possibly set the NFL sack record, which has been one of his goals. That's 22 and a half by TJ Watt and Michael Strahan. So that's the kind of season he was having. And now he's just kind of, you know, falling off the map a little bit in the sack department, but he still is eighth in the NFL with 69 pressures. That's according to pro football focus. Once again, Dan, I'm rattling off these statistics with no numbers in front of me whatsoever, but um, just remembering these numbers for some odd reason. Um, But so he's right up there in terms of pressures in the NFL and um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. There are three games left. Yeah, and to your point, I mean, you you mentioned T.J. Watt, and Browns fans certainly remember this when he broke the sack record. Uh, That came in part because, so he had three and a half sacks in week 12 that year. Um, Or I'm sorry, that was week 13. But Browns fans remember week 17 of that season when he had four sacks against Baker Mayfield. So, I mean, to your point, Miles only needs, and and I say only as if it's easy, but he only needs a game where, for whatever reason, he's just getting to the quarterback all day and he's coming away with a three sack game or a four sack game, or maybe a couple two sack games, something like that. And this does kind of come back to like miles is getting all this attention, 
And they just really still need somebody else to step up. They just need somebody else to step up and start collecting some of these sacks. And, you know, with Oboe potentially out for the season, you know, that's a little more pressure on Zadarius. Like Alex Wright had a nice game yesterday, but Alex Wright isn't like a relentless pressure guy. He'll, he'll make some plays when the opportunity's there. They do need somebody to step up so that teams actually do get punished and teams quarterbacks get hit when they decide that they're going to commit two, three, four people, however many it is, to shutting down Miles Garrett. Yeah, you're so right about that. And, you know, Miles has been so sensitive about this topic this year. There is no way in heck that he wants to make it seem like he thinks somebody else should be doing something that they're not doing. Uh, He doesn't want to make it seem like he wishes someone else would pick up the slack so he could not have to be double teamed all all the time. He's very careful about that. Everything that comes out of his mouth is all about the team. And that's different than it was a couple of years ago. Uh, There have been times in the past where he called on his teammates to win their one-on-ones and and to do more. And he's not doing that. He's not doing that this year. He's grown up and he's matured in that way. And he's just very careful and very sensitive about that. But we can say it. It would certainly help if there were other guys getting home and getting those sacks. And if they weren't important, then why did Jim Schwartz chew out his defensive line two weeks ago for going two weeks without a sack or last week or whenever it was? Uh, He chewed them out. And the reason why it's important is because if you're dropping the quarterback for a loss, that's obviously very key. And then also, uh, if you're doing that, you're getting him off of his mark and you might even be taking the ball away. So it is important. It is important to win your, your matchups and to get to the quarterback and try to wreck the game. Yeah, I mean, we've said this before. Pressures are great. We love pressures. But what you really want on Sunday is I really want D'Amico Ryans and Bobby Slowick. I want them to say, hey, I'm tired of Zadarius Smith hitting my quarterback. We got to get somebody over there to help off Zadarius Smith. And then all of a sudden, now Miles Garrett gets a chance to go hit the quarterback. Like that's... You really want these coaches and these coordinators to get tired of their quarterback getting hit by somebody. And until they don't have to put three or four guys over there on Miles Garrett, they're they're just going to keep doing that until they, they can't do it anymore, until somebody else makes them pay. Um, so, yeah, pressures are great, but teams really don't like it when their quarterback starts getting hit. That's what's really going to make them say, we've, we've got to make an adjustment here. Yeah, and you know what? I mean, I just don't know what's going to change over the final three games because – as you mentioned, Oboe is probably going to be out for at least those three games and likely the season with a torn pack. So, you know, he was the second leading sacker with four and a half. Um, you know, you can get some interior sacks from Galvin. They're getting some of those. But from their edge guys, you know, the production just, you know, hasn't been, been there for one reason or another. Even with Miles taking on the double teams, they're still not getting that. Uh, from the other guys. Part of it is because teams are quick gaming them. They are getting the ball out very, very quickly. They are so determined not to let Miles wreck the game. And, you know, I wrote that story recently about how um, Sean McVay stopped him in the corridor and said, you know, you ruined my effing week trying to game plan for you. And that's how it is every single week. Every week, everyone's trying to make sure that he does not wreck the game. It's a compliment. It's the respect that he has earned, uh, but it makes for a very frustrating three hours on a Sunday afternoon. 
So there's something else I want to talk about off of this. And this has to do a little more with Kevin. And listen, it's Kevin's job to sit up there or sit on a Zoom, whatever it is, and make the case for his play. It's not Kevin's job to sit up there and have some nuanced discussion about who should win defensive player of the year. It's Kevin's job to say, my guy should win defensive player of the year, and this is why. But that being said, we've never seen Kevin do this. We've never seen him make this big of a case for a player. And this just feeds into something I've been thinking about with Kevin in general. And even though his press conferences are still pretty bland and he's still really careful not to say the wrong thing, and it hasn't been a night and day change, I do feel like Kevin is different this year. Am I... Like, am I wrong? Do you agree with that? Do you feel like Kevin Stefanski is just sort of a different... I I just feel like something is different with Kevin this season. I don't know know if I can pinpoint exactly what it is, but I just feel like something is different with him in in a good way. Yeah, I mean, it's hit or miss. It's hit or miss. There have been times where, you know, we leave a press conference, and I know the fans feel this way too, and we feel like, oh man, he really didn't give us anything, right? I mean, he just didn't say much about anything. But it's been a very stressful season. And I think we have to cut him a little bit of slack in that regard in the fact that, you know, we are peppering him with all these questions about the quarterback and was this guy medically cleared? And, you know, what happened with this medical exam? It's been a stressful quarterback season, obviously, down to their fourth quarterback. And so there was a mid point there where I thought that he really was, you know, showing some strains of everything that was going on with the quarterback and with the Sean. But now that they're sort of back in the mix, they've got Joe, he feels good. You know, he's, he doesn't have the deer in the headlights look now that he has Joe. Okay. When you're trying to game plan for Dorian Thompson Robinson and PJ Walker, you're going to have a little bit of the deer in the headlights look because you know that there are going to be times where they just don't know what they're looking at. The game is going to be too fast for them. And he just doesn't know how they're going to handle a situation. He doesn't feel that way with Joe Flacco. I mean, these guys are really confident in the way that they're calling the game for Joe Flacco. We've seen them uh, go four for four on uh, on fourth or three for three on fourth down in a game last week. We've seen them take enormous shots in a game, which just happened yesterday against the Bears. I mean, you know, Joe just started airing it out and getting those chunk plays. So, you know, he's calling the game with a lot of confidence now for Joe Flacco. And I think that, you know, it's, it's also Pro Bowl time. And I think he's also kind of, you know, putting in his vote for some of his guys. We've heard him this week really praise David Njoku. I mean, there is an effort on this football team to praise the heck out of David Njoku. And he's earning it this year. He is earning that praise. He's had two really good weeks. Uh, Joe Flacco has has really kind of brought out the best in Dave Njoku. He's catching touchdown passes, which is vitally important for him and for the team. And um, so I think Kevin's, you know, just maybe a little bit more comfortable right now. Yeah. And, and I'm not even talking like just like press conference stuff, but just like on the sideline, we're seeing him, you know, we saw him high step down the sideline on the, the David Bell touchdown. Um a couple weeks ago. And, and one of our photogs caught a great photo of him celebrating with James Hudson after the first touchdown in LA. Like we're, we're seeing him be a little more dynamic on the sideline. I even feel like he's, I see him barking more at officials. We saw him launch a challenge flag at an official. Um, and just, I don't know, you know, the post game speech yesterday that the Browns posted, right. There's like stretches of that video where they just had to cut the audio out because this, because it's a family show on Brown's Twitter. And 
Kevin certainly has had moments like that before, but never to that extreme. Like, it just feels like there's an edge. It feels like he is really comfortable with himself right now in this job. And I don't know. There's just a different vibe around Kevin. There's still some of the same Kevin stuff, right? Like on Fridays, his press conferences are about five minutes long and he doesn't tell us anything. But just the general vibe around Kevin feels so different this year. And maybe it's just because he feels comfortable and he's winning. I don't know what it is, but it just feels like right now the vibe is really different with him. Well, you know, it could be a number of things. Like you said, winning uh, really cures a lot of things. So I think that's one of, of the key issues here. But I think another thing is I feel like this is a football team where everybody's pulling in the same direction now. They have everybody on board. They're all together. It's a, it's a, it's a unity that I've never seen before, even under, you know, Kevin Stefanski is same regime, but different level of unity on the team. You don't have like what you had last year. Jadavian Clowney was not pulling in the same direction as everyone else last year, right? He was upset about the way things were going uh, for his career, for his sack totals. And, uh, and, you know, right or wrong, he, you know, expressed himself to me at the end of the season, but he expressed himself to everyone throughout the season, to everyone else, to the coaches, to the players. Everyone knew that he was disgruntled and unhappy. You could pull in 10, 12 people in that organization and you're going to get the same story because that's what was going on. Um, and, and you can see this year that Jadavian is having an amazing season. So, you know, it kind of all falls into line with what we knew was going on with him. And then, you know, back it up a little bit and you had Baker Mayfield that was not on the same page with Kevin Stefanski. The starting quarterback of the football team in 2021 was not on the same page with his head coach at all. And we know that that's a major reason why he's gone. And, you know, I, I wrote that story. I mean, I, you know, kind of captured the essence of uh, that, even though Baker, you know, fought back on that a little bit, that he did not feel necessarily that he was being used properly or that his skill set was being maximized. There's none of that going on now. There's none of that stuff. I mean, to a man, you've got everybody on board with the program. You've got everybody on board with Jim Schwartz. That's another thing. I mean, there were so many issues last year with Joe Woods, the defensive coordinator, not just last year, the last couple of years that stuff was going on, right? I mean, Miles in the past, you know, would sometimes have a little bit of beef and let that slip out with the defensive coordinator. And, you know, some other guys did too. You know, you hear, heard some little weird things about, oh, guys are leaving the building too so soon. They're not studying enough film. We heard that from JJ3. I mean, we haven't had anything like that this year. And when you listen to Miles Garrett, like I said before, he is so about the team and he doesn't even think about uttering anything that's not team building. That's not, I mean, there's no, not a hint of selfishness in his play or in his words. And not that there ever was necessarily before, but sometimes it was construed like that. Now you can't even find it if you were looking for it. And I think that's a function of Jim Schwartz and the culture that he's brought, Kevin Stefanski and the culture that he's instilled. And like Joe Flacco said yesterday, the guys that they have assembled on this football team are not that kind of guy, right? They don't have the, you know, the guys on the, this football team anymore that are going to be thinking about themselves. They're all about the team. They know, they know what it takes to win. 
And, uh, and I think that, that Kevin, I'll tell you what, I think he loves this football team. I think he loves uh, what these guys are doing for him week after week. And I think that's what you're hearing in those post-game speeches. I mean, he knows that they are leaving it all out there on the field and they're winning games in improbable fashion that last year they wouldn't have won. The year before that, they wouldn't have won. And now he's got a team that if they can stay healthy enough, they can make some noise in the playoffs. Yeah, it, it does feel a little bit like it's, you know, <laughs> I'm I'm going to pull and drag this team as far as I can take them. Like um, these guys are on board with me. Everybody's in on this. Like, and so now it's on me. I'm, I'm going to try and drag these guys as far as I can. If that's all the way to Las Vegas. Great. If that's Kansas city in the middle of January. Okay. But I'm going to, I'm going to drag this team as, as far as where I'm going to make sure that this team gets as far as we can get. Uh, because yeah, I, I agree with you. I think I think he really is enjoying coaching this football team, um, especially with a guy that we're going to talk about here on the other side uh, of the break on the Orange Brown Talk podcast on a Tuesday. And welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot. Okay, we have to talk Joe Flacco. So your insider this weekend started with Joe Flacco's future, um, and that's very much. Like, I, I don't know, I, I think is, is my big answer with how this is all going to play out. Because first of all, we need to see where this train sort of stops. But what, I guess as you were reporting that out and you were writing that, what sort of feeling did you get about Joe Flacco's future and how much the Browns could play into it? Well, for starters, and, you know, just so we all know, he signed his one-year contract last year, but it's not really a one-year contract. It's a contract through the rest of this year and it expires in March. So he's going to be an unrestricted free agent in March unless they make a move to extend him. They haven't thought that far ahead at this point. What they're trying to do right now is survive each week and get into the playoffs. That's the goal. That's the focus right now. But my reigning thought about the whole Joe Flacco experience, and it could change as we go along because these things can take on a life of their own. But my number one thought is, you know, Deshaun Watson is going to come back and be the starter for this football team. Uh, they have a $230 million guaranteed investment in him. That's $46 million a year on average. And they've already basically lost the first two years of that. They have three years left at $46 million a year. And he obviously is coming off of surgery to repair his fractured glenoid bone and everyone expects that he's going to make a full recovery and be able to be himself. So that's the expectation. Um, so in, in that scenario, I don't know if there's a place for Joe Flacco on this football team. I also think that Joe Flacco is making a very strong case, a very strong case to end up with a starting job somewhere or, or at least the opportunity to go somewhere and start. And that's not going to be here. And Joe Flacco is not going to want to sit on somebody's bench next year. That's not why he came off the couch. He didn't come off the couch so that he could go and sit on somebody's bench. Came off the couch to play football. And I think he is trying to show the world right now. I think the Browns are getting the best of Joe Flacco. Because in addition to trying to take this football team uh, to the Super Bowl, he is also trying to show the world that he can still play this game. And I, for one, agree with him. I think he can still play this game. I think he's established that he can. He's got to be in the right system and he's got to have, you know, the right players around him and you have to protect him and you have to do those kinds of things. But 
I mean, if he's on a talented enough football team, then he can win. He's not going to win on a horrible team. You know, he found that out in the previous three years with the Jets and before that with the Broncos. You can't really win with a, a horrible football team, but he can win on a good team. And if a good team needs a quarterback next year, they should for sure be dialing up Joe Flacco and bringing him in because 38 in quarterback years anymore is not horribly old. I mean, we see uh, so many other guys doing it and other guys have made it cool to play until you're 40 or beyond. So I do think he's got plenty left in the tank. And I do think that he will probably have a chance to go somewhere and play. The other key issue here, Dan, is the fact that he doesn't really necessarily fit with the dual threat quarterback room that the Browns have here. And every other quarterback that they have acquired or signed for the most part had some dual threat ability. Now, not Jacoby Brissett, but Jacoby Brissett brought everything else to the table in terms of leadership, getting along with Deshaun and all the stuff that they were going to need during the 11 game suspension. But now with DTR and even PJ Walker, you know, they're trying to go for a very dual threat centric QB room. And therefore I think that they would probably be more inclined to end up with a quarterback more like that than your classic drop back passer, where when you go to him, you're asking everyone to pivot to a completely different kind of game. Now they're, they're handling it well. I mean, they're handling it very well. This is a staff that knows how to call a game like that. It's a quarterback that knows how to play a game like that. The offensive line knows how to block, but, um, but, you know, I think they kind of want to go down the, the dual threat road a little bit more. So I don't even know if he would fit here as the backup if that were the only work he could find. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. I think to that last point, though, I would almost say I feel like you're learning this year as, as much as you do want everybody in that quarterback room to be able to play the same. Like, it's just more about having the right guy there. So if that right guy happens to be a 38-year-old who's best in a play-action dropback system i mean we're, we're seeing that it's working like everybody's made the adjustment pretty easily and we're seeing that it's working so i i feel like the lesson in this for the browns should be look if if we can get a really good dual threat quarterback that can mimic some of the things deshaun can do great but ultimately we just got to have the right guy there because that saved your season and this guy is completely different from deshaun but i do think the key point is the thing you said first And it's something that Browns fans have to remember. Like Deshaun Watson is the starting quarterback. There's just, Mm -hmm. there's no way around that. There's no way out of that. Deshaun Watson has to be the starting quarterback for this football team. There's too much money left. They can't move on from him. I mean, I think it's virtually impossible to move on from him. Maybe there's some post June 1st trade that would, that could help him. But I don't even think that with this contract, I don't think that's possible. And by the way, he has a no trade clause. So this is what it is. This the Joe Flacco ride is for the next however long. And then from there it's going to go it's going to go back to Deshaun Watson. It just has to. And I think that's the starting point in in all of this, right? Yeah, I I really think so too. I don't think at this point there are any plans whatsoever to try to move on from Deshaun Watson. There are no plans uh to do that. Again, uh they are still on the hook for three more years at $46 million a year in the unlikely event that they wanted to try to trade him. um, You know, who are you going to get to take a quarterback off your hands at that amount of money? Who's coming off of shoulder surgery, right? 
And the truth of the matter is nobody's really seen, uh, you know, a very large body of work of Deshaun Watson playing at his Pro Bowl level since he's been in a Browns uniform. And the sample size is small. I basically have thrown out last season because I, I just think that that was, you know, its own unique entity that, you know, it just was not conducive to, you know, to good football for, for anybody. The off the field issues were just, you know, too much for, uh, for Deshaun and the Browns to kind of overcome on the football field. So, um, and I hope that's not misconstrued in any way. I'm just saying that that year is, was kind of a, a wash because it was overshadowed by his off the field issues. And, um, and then this year, it was basically wrecked for the most part by the strain rotator cuff. I mean, it just, it, and then, which then turned into, or was followed by a fractured shoulder. So, you know, I don't think that you are going to have too many teams that can look at the tape that he's put out there since he's been here and say, oh yeah, he's good to go. Let's take him. Having said that, I mean, you never know. There were plenty of teams clamoring for him. There was a sweepstakes. There was a, a three-team sweepstakes to get him uh, when the Browns traded for him. So there might be teams that say, no, we still think he's got it, and make make a pitch for him. But I just don't see that the Browns are even close to being there in any way, shape, or form. I still think they feel that he is everything that they wanted when they made that trade and paid him that $230 million. And let's not forget the trade included giving up three first round picks, right? And unless you could somehow recoup some of those first round picks, you know, this just, it's not going to happen. So, um, you know, let's see where the rest of the season takes us. I actually think if the Browns had been able to stay healthy, which they just haven't over the last few weeks, then I, I really firmly believe they could have made a strong run in the playoffs and scared some people like Greg Newsom said they would. Um, you know, but now if they go against a team that has a really strong pass rush, some really good edge rushers, and they are going to face better, better edge rushers than they have in the past couple of weeks, um, you know, I think it's going to be really, really tough to overcome that. I mean, can you imagine if he has to face the Baltimore Ravens? I, I, I mean, with James Hudson and Jerron Christian, and uh, those guys are working their tails off. But, you know, though, that's not Jack Conklin out there and even Jed Wills. It's not those guys. So I think it's going to be really, really hard. I would have thought that the Browns, with Joe Flacco, with his talent and ability, and with the Browns' dominant defense, that – they could make big, loud noise in the playoffs and do some really cool things. Uh, but I thought they showed the stress and the strain of, of their injuries yesterday. And I, I think it's going to be increasingly difficult to keep this playoff train chugging along uh, with, with so many guys on the injury list. Yeah, and then now, you know, we're kind of watching this Joel Batonio situation, right? His back tightened up on him and he had to leave that game, which is very un-Joel Batonio-like and you know backs are funky so we'll kind of see how that plays out I doubt that he's going to miss this next game he'll probably be right back out there but you know that you always worry a little bit about stuff like that and you hope you get Ethan Posick back too this week but 
yeah, they aren't getting their tackles back. They're going to have to continue to cobble that together, and and that's going to be an issue. And, and we'll see sort of how the Texans are able to exploit that this week. Um, okay, there's one other thing I wanted to talk about, and that is so Jeremiah Wusukoromoa was available on Zoom today, and he has certainly been one of the big winners on, on this defense. He's really just thrived in Jim Schwartz's scheme. So I'm kind of curious, who do you think are the guys, and some of them, unfortunately, aren't playing right now, but who do you think are some of the guys who have really been the winners in, in this change of defensive coordinators and this change to the Jim Schwartz scheme? Well, JOK is certainly one of them. So I, I 100% agree with you there. And then, um, you know, I would look to a guy like Grant Delpit. I thought Grant was having his best career season when he suffered a torn, a torn groin muscle last week. I'm getting my injuries mixed up. Uh, so he suffered the torn groin muscle and underwent surgery, is going to try to possibly stay alive and so he could play in the playoffs, um, but he might be out for the season. Um, so I thought Grant was one for sure. And then Denzel is having a heck of a year. I thought he really bounced back. I thought a, a lot of the cornerbacks did. I mean, Martin Emerson, I mean, come on, Martin, Martin Emerson should be garnering a lot of attention for Pro Bowl. I think he's having a Pro Bowl caliber season. I oh, I felt last year, I wrote this last year, that I thought that he was a Pro Bowl caliber cornerback and that he would be there sooner or, sooner than later. And I think he is establishing himself as that this year. I think Greg Newsom has rebounded in this defense. I think for the most part, I think he's having a really, really good season inside there at the nickel. Um so those are the guys that really stand out to me the most. Um, uh, yeah, I would say that that's it. Yeah, and, and I think there's some smaller – so a guy like Jordan Elliott, right? Like we didn't know yeah. if he was going to be anything. And now he's sort of become a guy that um, – I, th- I think he's a free agent after this season. So we'll see sort of how the Browns approach that. Um, but I, I think he's a guy that's really thrived. Um, Oboe? Did you mention Oboe? I don't think you did. Oh, no, oh. I didn't. I, I didn't. I think probably in part because I was thinking of, of like kind of guys that had been yeah. here before. Yeah, that's right. Um, but yeah, but I mean, Oboe's having a, a great season in this defense. And again, it's it's unfortunate that he's probably lost for the season as well. Yeah. Um, and I, let's spend a little more time on Newsom because this time a year ago, we were starting to ask, like, do you like playing the slot? And he was kind of being nice about it, but sending the message that he didn't. And then of course, after the season he had, we, we saw all the social media stuff and yet somehow Jim Schwartz has come in and made Greg Newsom happy being the slot corner. Yes, absolutely. And you know, I think that is the beauty of Jim Schwartz. He's knitted everybody together on a fractured defense from last year. He made sure, and he told us that he was going to do this in his opening press conference. He said, you know, I'm going to make sure that my best players are also my best leaders. And he's doing that. And that's why you see, he knew, you know, you know, you have to make a Greg Newsom happy, those first round picks. You have to make Miles Garrett happy. You've got to give them things to do that they feel really good about doing. You have to give them things to do where it can bring out the best in them. And even though Greg ideally in a perfect world would still love to be an outside corner. You know, Jim Schwartz somehow magically has him feeling better about playing in the slot and he's playing better in the slot because of it. 
And I think, you know, they, they, who knows, they might've done a, like a highlight reel of, of slot corners that have made the pro bowl or that have made a big name for themselves playing that position because he's certainly been happy and he's been making some really, really big plays. Yeah. So, so that's been a win. I mean, a guy like uh Sione Takitaki, um, mm-hmm. he actually played, I, I guess he played his first full game yesterday uh, with Anthony Walker out. And he was a guy that was, starting to play well last year, but he's come back from that injury. And I think he's really thrived too. Even though linebacker is not super important in Jim Schwartz's system. I I think honestly, all the guys he's kind of run out there at linebacker have done a nice job. Yeah, they have. And, and once again, this is the number one defense in the NFL that we're talking about the number one defense. And in order for that to happen, you have to have a sound scheme and a lot of guys playing really well. And yes, Sione's one of them, Um, you know, when you talk about even Anthony, I, th- I think Anthony Walker's playing some of the best ball that I've seen him play here as a Cleveland Brown in this scheme. Same thing with JOK. JOK woke up in this scheme. Um, previously, he seemed at times a bit lost. Wasn't quite sure how to use his speed, uh, you know, where to be, you know, with the run fits and all the, all the things that he uh, is good at. He just really wasn't quite sure how to, put the whole thing together. He's not lost anymore. I mean, the lights have come on like really bright for JOK in this defense. And he not only knows where to be, he can get there in a darn hurry, right? So you're seeing him make plays, tackles for loss, plays in the backfield, um, sideline to sideline, covering, you know, I mean, he's doing it all. And I I also think that before long, uh, he's going to get some Pro Bowl attention too. Okay, there we go. Uh, Tuesday podcast here following the Browns win over the Bears. They head to Houston here this week. This is a big game. Um, I think, I mean, we're all hoping CJ Stroud plays in this game, right? I mean, we all want to see like this up and coming Texans team go against this Browns team. Okay, this could be a very, this could be a very, a really fun game if CJ Stroud is back uh, for the Texans going against this Browns defense. And that, that Texans defense has been playing okay too. So, um, I'm I'm really curious about this football game if it's Stroud versus Flacco and and all of that. Yeah, and if it's not C.J. Stroud, we know who it is. Case Keenum, former Browns quarterback Case Keenum, uh, who worked for Kevin Stefanski in Minnesota and here knows the Browns really well. Could you imagine Case getting that opportunity? Uh, but of course, like you said, everybody wants to see C.J. Stroud the former Ohio State Buckeye, play in this game against the Cleveland Browns. I'm sure he's over the moon to do that. and But he's still in the concussion protocol right now. So nobody knows how this is going to go. And, you know, you're at the mercy of the independent neurologist and you have to get back to your baseline. And nobody ever knows how that's going to happen until it actually happens. So lots up in the air that way. Certainly, I would think that, that C.J. Stroud... Uh, would be will be the tougher out for the Browns Uh, you know one of those dual threat quarterbacks that you know they have struggled with to a degree this season Um, and you know he can hurt you in so many ways but um, but we'll just have to see how that goes Uh, it's it is it's a big big game because you know it's an AFC game and the Browns have tiebreakers to worry about and the um, you know the Texans at eight and six they're a game behind them and they are breathing right right down the Browns neck for a playoff spot. 
And so, yeah, we'll have to see how this goes. And all of a sudden, the AFC South is wide open, too. So the Texans mm-hmm. are even still thinking about that. Uh, okay, so it should be a fun one on Christmas Eve in Houston. Of course, we'll cover it all. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Find us on Instagram, search Orange and Brown Talk. And on YouTube, search Cleveland Browns on Cleveland.com. And become a football insider subscriber, Cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page for info on that. Uh, Mary Kay, I will talk to you later. Sounds great.